Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We're continuing our series, The Price of Victory. So turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 14 to 15, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message titled, Pastoral Love. In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis wrote, Do not waste your time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. You know, Lewis went on to say that when we lead with action, we'll find that our emotion is going to follow. Act loving, you'll begin to experience love. You know, it's a basic human need. We need to be loved. You know, I visited some of those infamous orphanages in Romania shortly after the communist regime had collapsed. And there I witnessed children who had never been held or rocked to sleep or told stories or been assured by anyone that they would expend themselves for them. The horror of what I saw there still haunts me, especially of one little boy. I remember him, and I have always wondered what became of him. Love's not only essential to the earliest developmental stages of a child. Love's also a requirement for all of our lives. I mean, you might as well argue that it's important to give a child essential nutrients, but as adults, you know, it's no longer important. Well, in the same way, love is essential for a lifetime. We need to be loved. You know, my mom suffered a severe dementia in her last years. She was unable to recognize anyone. She was confined to a nursing home, and so we, her children, we actually made a timetable between us in which we had an agreement to make sure that she always received a visit. You know, I sometimes read the Bible to her, although I'm not sure she understood a thing. Sometimes I just brought my own book and read it, sat silently beside her. You know, those were tough days. On more than one occasion, I wondered if she'd ever even noticed that someone had been there. Well, Mom passed into the presence of the Lord, and her children surrounded her bed, and when she breathed her last, my sister simply said, praise God. Not that we were glad to see her go, but rather because her burden had now been taken from her. She was finally able to lay aside her distressed body and enter into an eternal joy. We decided to write the staff of the nursing home a letter of thanks. They changed mom's diaper. They bathed her when at times she was agitated and combative. We wanted to say that we had noticed and we were thankful. And one of my siblings showed up at the home with a note along with chocolates and flowers. In response, the people at the home told us that they were so thankful for the frequent visits. We were told that there were many elderly in that home who had been there for years without having received a single visit from anyone, not from family or friends or a church. My heart sank. I thought of that boy in the orphanage in Romania, and I thought of that elderly woman or man in a Canadian nursing home. Love had been removed, and all that was left was institutionalization. How utterly horrifying are our lives should love be taken from us. You know, people also need pastors to love them. You know, it's the pastor who dedicates babies to Christ and stands at the altar with a young couple and calls down the blessing of God on their union. It's the pastor who often visits when illness overtakes. And it's the pastor who stands with the grieving family at the graveside, reads scripture and reminds them of the resurrection and of our hope. But it's one thing to perform the duties of a pastor And it's another to do them out of a heart of love for the people that are being served. The ardent love of a godly pastor reminds us of the ardent love of the God of whom that pastor preaches. 
As we come to the next section of our study of 2 Corinthians, we find Paul's now done with his defense of his ministry. He's been battling with the false teachers, and he's been appealing to the hearts of the rebellious minority in the church who are still refusing to repent. But Paul now turns the page. There's something else that he needs to discuss with the church as a whole. So let's read 2 Corinthians 12, 14, and 15. Here for the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden, for I seek not what is yours, but you. For children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? See, Paul announces that he's making plans for a third visit to the city of Corinth to spend time with the church. So let's review the last two visits. Acts 18 describes the first visit, and on that occasion, he had stayed there for 18 months. On that occasion, of course, there was no church. He had preached the gospel in the city. He had won many to Christ. He ensured that they were taught the foundational truths of the Christian faith, and he had established their church along with explaining how Christian leadership was to function. Uh, He would have found suitable candidates who would have become elders of that church. That was his first visit, and it was a glorious visit indeed. The second visit was what we have described in this study as the painful visit. That was the visit in which Paul had come to confront certain people because of persistent patterns of unrepentant sins. And as we have now noted on a number of occasions, that visit ended badly. Paul had then deliberately withdrawn for cooler heads needed to prevail and then to send Titus to Corinth to reinforce what Paul had taught. You know, as a brief review, go back with me to 2 Corinthians 1, 23 to chapter 2, verse 2. Paul says, but I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. For if I caused you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? See, Paul had been wanting to go back to Corinth for some time. He had refrained not because he was angry with the church or or because he was done with them and he's washing his hands of them. Rather, he refrained out of love for them. What if, he says, we become so strained in our relationship that we can't rejoice together anymore? See, that passage does tell us about the relationship between purity in the local church and love in the local church. See, Paul couldn't imagine a church in which wild discipline was being done and yet love and concern for others and unity and a sense of joy were absent. Relationships were essential to Paul as they are for for the gospel. We, the people of God, are not just telling the good news. We're living out the good news in the relationships we share with each other. You see, it's always got to be truth and love. We don't believe we should ever sacrifice one for the other. We're not content with truth alone. That can lead to tyranny. And if it's love alone, well, that leads to false teaching and a destruction of the gospel. It's always got to be the the two together. And so Paul has postponed his third trip to Corinth out of love. Love must not be sacrificed, even though there have been significant issues that needed to be dealt with. But now the time has come for Paul to make his way back to Corinth. Many had repented and gotten right with the Lord. This, Paul anticipated, would be a joyous trip. But then he's very quick to point out, since this was such a sensitive matter, that when he came, his coming would not be a financial burden to them. 
You know, in our study, we've already noticed that Paul did take money from churches, money that would be used to sponsor his missionary journey to another city and to another place that needed to hear the gospel, but he would not take money from a church while he was there. Paul was very sensitive to the criticism that people might think that he was doing all of this only for the money. As far as Paul was concerned, if he could take the money off the table, it would open a door to speak about the important matters of the gospel. And then to press the matter home, he assures the church that he doesn't want their money, he wants them. It's never been about what he could get from them. It was an important matter to communicate. See, you might know that many pastors are frequently given gifts from members of the congregation. See, I remember on one occasion taking someone of the congregation out to a local restaurant. And we were talking, and then someone from my church came by and he said, let me pick up the tab for the meal. And he dumped a $100 bill onto the table, and before I could protest, he was out the door and gone. I didn't feel blessed. I felt guilty. You know, that meal cost very little, and what was I to do with all that extra money? Put it in my pocket? What if others acted in the same way? You know, I received a salary and it was adequate. And furthermore, I had an expense account that needed to be justified. It was also adequate. What was I to do with this $100 bill? I have for great many years now been opposed to monetary gifts being given to pastors. Churches should ensure the salary is good, but there ought not to be an endless supply of perks lest others say, how do I get in on that? Pastor, that's a real good gig you've got going there. Paul seems to be saying something like that. I'm not looking for your money. I'm looking for you, not your wallet. I want your heart. And then Paul adds a marvelous phrase. Parents, he says, should not be saving up for their kids. Rather, it's vice versa. You know, perhaps Paul was thinking of Proverbs 19, verse 14. That proverb says, house and wealth are inherited from fathers. Well, Paulus said he was their spiritual father. Of course, he's not bringing money to the church, but he is bringing spiritual wealth to it. Paul says, I'm not doing this to gain something from you, but as your spiritual father, I'm doing so because my spiritual children should gain something from me. That's the heart of a pastor. past number of years, Back to the Bible Canada has been blessed to offer a unique Israel experience, a journey to the Holy Land under the teaching of Dr. John Newfeld, discovering first-hand locations across Israel that hold a place of prominence in the Bible. On every occasion, those who embraced the journey agreed it was a spiritual experience of a lifetime. Now's the time to plan ahead. In April of 2022, Back to the Bible Canada is offering our next Israel experience and you're invited to attend. Join an intimate group of brothers and sisters journeying across Israel under the teaching of Dr. John Neufeld. Experience inspirational events and activities that include Laugh-Again's own Phil Calloway and special musical guests. For more information, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. Verse 15a are the words of a mature spiritual leader. Paul says, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. We notice in our English Bible, it's a word play. And in the original, it's a word play as well. 
I will most gladly spend means that Paul would most gladly spend money and resources and time and energy to ensure that they become all that Christ wants them to be. I'll spend whatever resources I have, just like a father or a mother for that matter, who spends everything he or she has to make sure that their children have the best possible resources for a good future. Paul says, that's my pastoral role. It's not just that he spends, and then when he realizes how much the Corinthian church has cost him, that he begins to berate them for the high cost of the relationship. You know, what loving parent thinks it's money ill-spent if they spend their money on their children's food and clothing, their education, and on other things they need? See, loving parents think it's a privilege. No, no, Paul does not simply say, I will spend. Rather, he says, I will gladly be spent. It's a delight to pour myself out so that you become fully mature in every way. You know, if we think about it, that's precisely what Paul told the Ephesian elders when he met with them for the final time. Luke records that meeting, and in Acts 20, 33 to 34, Paul says, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. And that is, I didn't take advantage of the unique relationship I had with you. And you yourselves can testify that's true. You know, every so often I hear the awful story of a pastor or, you know, maybe a spiritual leader of some sort who abuses his or her position and either borrows money from someone in the congregation or even swindles someone out of their money. You know, when such a thing happens, it feels like a violation of trust. All congregation members must have the assurance that no pastor will take advantage of them. Their finances are safe. See, unfortunately, some churches have created an atmosphere where a pastor is forced to beg looking for special favors. And my counsel to that pastor would be, you know, either quit or get another job and serve as a part-time pastor or a bivocational pastor. Don't ever be put in a position where you have to look for special favors for someone to offer you a special gift or something like that just to financially survive. I mean, such a system is fraught with traps and it makes the pastor in the end a predator who awaits the favors of others. And to congregations, I say, pay your pastor a good salary. And to pastors, I say, never accept untoward financial gifts. You know, years ago, I pastored in a church for a short time. And when I began, I met with the board and they informed me of my salary. And I said, you know, that's going to be fine. And a year later, I was told I'd be meeting with the board to review my salary. And again, I said, that would be fine. But what happened next floored me. Members of the committee asked me to openly indicate where I was spending my money and whether I could make the case that I still had more needs. I was surprised because I had never expressed any dissatisfaction with my pay. But I told them I was surprised. Why, I asked, were we discussing this matter? Had some members of the congregation thought that I was spending my money unwisely? And no, no, they said, nothing of the kind. Rather, they informed me that if I could make the case that I had greater financial needs, they would raise my salary commensurate with my needs. Well, I told the committee I was shocked. I did not want to have a yearly meeting always telling a committee that there were bills that I couldn't pay. This, I thought, would make me into a beggar looking for handouts rather than a pastor ministering as Christ commanded me to do. 
You know, and to this day, and it happened so many years ago now, but to this day, I still shake my head wondering what in the world motivated that kind of a discussion. Were they trying to make a victim of me? And they to be the heroes, always helping out that poor pastor who doesn't handle his money well. You know, I contrast that experience to another one I had. I met with key members of the salary committee. They gave me an envelope and I opened it in their presence and it indicated my yearly income for the year along with the benefit package I would be receiving and my eyes bulged. I told them, look, dear friends, this is a considerable raise. I'm embarrassed to receive such a high salary and to which one of the men in the room looked at me quite sturdily and said, well, if you think it, you'll have to be giving more, won't you? Let's see if the abundance makes you generous or makes you greedy. I'll never forget that experience. I've always believed that pastors should be paid well, but also that they need to be excellent money managers. We should demonstrate that we're willing and able to give, but we should also demonstrate what it means to take care of our own households as God requires for all of his people. Pastors are not beggars looking for handouts. Rather, they're individuals looking to spend and be spent for the congregation. Do you see it? And Paul adds, I'm not just looking to spend, I'm looking to be spent. If the cost is myself, I'm happy to pay it for your benefit. It's because I love you. Now, all of that should have made the congregation in Corinth feel at ease. Their pastor was not looking to use them to satisfy himself, but rather he was looking to be like Christ for them. For did not Jesus say, that he had come not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Again, what Paul says should have satisfied everyone. But the latter part of verse 15 tells us that something was afoot. Look at it again. Paul says, if I love you more, that is, if I love you even more than I have in the past, will you then love me less? What? Paul, what are you asking and why are you asking it? We might read that and wonder what Paul's getting at, and of course, we can't get behind the scenes and discover what Paul had in mind, but we can make some very good and informed guesses. It would seem that Paul has expended himself for the church, and some members of that church thought it might just be too good to be true. Never trust a man who says he wants nothing back. I mean, after all, if he's serving God, not man, can we trust him? See, good pastors bear this in mind. The Lord is the rewarder for their conduct. I served with a wonderful pastor for many years. He often remarked when no one else noticed the sacrifices that he was making, he would quietly whisper, God knows. And I came to know him quite well. I realized that when he said it, it was never said for show. It was said out of a deep inner conviction. So let's continue reading our passage, 2 Corinthians 12, 16 to 18. But granting that I myself did not burden you, I was crafty, you say, and got the better of you by deceit. Did I take advantage of you through any of those whom I sent you? I urged Titus to go and sent the brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not act in the same spirit? Did we not take the same steps? See, up till this moment, Paul has been speaking very gently, but now he must deal with slander. It's hard to know the exact nature of the slander. I mean, perhaps some were saying, look, Paul must be up to something, even if we don't know what it is. Or, and this is also possible, some might have said, yeah, it is true. He's taken no money from us. But did you also notice Paul's been receiving an offering for the poor Christians in Jerusalem? I mean, who's to say that all that money is actually going to Jerusalem? Who's to say that 
Paul's not taking his own cut. And that's when Paul lets us know something that was said in Corinth. Some said he was a very crafty fellow. In some fashion, he's taking advantage of us. So what should the loving pastor do when his motives are being questioned? How does he defend himself against rumors and innuendos? What shall he say to people who love to trade in conspiracy theories, who begin by talking to others and say, you know, we've heard that he's up to something. And then that gets repeated and repeated until people begin to say, well, you know, when there's smoke, there's got to be fire. Paul now does the only thing he can do. He asks for details. Did I take advantage of you? How about when I was unable to visit you and when I sent Titus to you? Did he abuse his position? And then Paul asks, did we not all of us, whether it was myself or Titus or this other brother, did any of us take advantage of you? Something wonderful happening here if if our eyes can see it. See, Paul can ask these questions. And what I mean to say is this. He can ask for his accusers to publicly bring forth the evidence they have so that it might be objectively verified. See, Paul knows that when an investigation is made, he will be found to have been blameless. It really is wonderful for any church to have that same testimony regarding their own pastors. And I would say this, the vast majority of pastors that I have witnessed have the very same testimony. They have cheated no one. They have believed they were serving God. This is the call to pastoral ministry. It is to spend and to be spent. If there is a reward, let it be from God himself. And if there is to be appreciation from people whose lives are changed, so let it be. But let it be said of all of us who have served as pastors that we have loved the people whom we have served. After all, Christ has treated us this way. Thanks so much, John. Let me ask you, is there an appropriate way or, or how should we express our love for those in leadership or for our pastors, for instance? Yeah, I think we can do it a, a number of different ways. I mean, I've obviously talked about some of the pitfalls, but, you know, I, I think, first of all, we begin on our knees. Uh, we pray earnestly because we should remember that everyone in Christian leadership is in spiritual warfare. I think we should also look for ways, especially when there are being falsely accused, that we look to defend them because they won't be able to defend themselves. So we're interested in the truth about accusations, but we should not be allowing for false accusations to fly. Uh, I think also we, we need to look for ways to make sure that we're including pastors in, you know, just regular activities, that they can just simply be a part of our lives as we are of theirs. And so all of those things can, I think, help in some way. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, The Price of Victory, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. During the month of March, we'll be highlighting the international efforts of Back to the Bible Canada. Did you know that our radio program with Dr. John airs in India and neighboring countries such as Sri Lanka, Malaysia, Singapore, Thailand, Burma, Vietnam, Eastern China, Pakistan, Afghanistan, and Iran? If ensuring that your brothers and sisters around the world have access to daily Bible teaching is important to you, you can help. Your gift toward Back to the Bible Canada's international ministries would help develop and encourage pastors in India and help reach thousands of people 
with trusted Bible teaching programs across much of Asia and the Middle East. To support our international ministries, call us today at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.